Can you tell us a little bit about Test Guild? Sure. Yeah. So it started off in 2010 as a personal blog. And I just started in case I was ever laid off that if someone Googled me, they'd be able to find me and give me a job because I have a, a history. And then it morphed into a whole other thing. I started doing a, a podcast. I think it's one of the longest running podcasts dedicated to automation in 2014 called Test Talks, which is now the Test Guild Automation Podcast. And I started uh, online events in 2017, way before COVID and all this online stuff. Uh, so I have an annual event called Automation Guild. I run every February dedicated 100% to helping people succeed with automation testing. So really it's a hub around helping people succeed in creating uh, automation testing and education and uh, just lo love to share information with the community. And I really think uh, maybe because I'm a tester, I think it's a really critical function we all fill in as testers for society because the software is used by everyone. And uh, as we get into 2020 and beyond, 2022, uh, it's only going to become more and more people rely on software for really critical things so that testing is critical to help uh, that experience with uh, with almost everything we interface with nowadays. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so true, right? A lot of people who don't come from a technical background often don't understand the complexity that goes on when building code and the amount of effort that actually goes in to software testing in the entire delivery lifecycle. Absolutely. So just to get the viewers familiar with software automation or software testing, there's two types of testing that's typically done, manual testing and automation testing for software. Joe, it'll be really interesting for everyone to hear a little bit about what is manual testing versus automation testing, and we can lead from there. Sure, you know, it could actually be a controversial topic in the community. Uh, I'll take it from the traditional approach of how, what people call these things and how I see it. So uh, I think the, the main difference is when you're talking manual versus automated testing, manual relies on a human being to actually execute the test case, where automated relies on a tool to actually execute the test case for you. Um, I like to see it more as a testing, and in testing you have processes that you manually need to perform, or uh, you could partly perform it using a tool to help you automate part of it, or a tool to actually automate the whole process. So. Uh, it all depends how you look at it. It's just taking the test case that a user has come up with and then leveraging either a human being to perform that test case and in the case of manual or leveraging a tool to actually run that test for you in an automated fashion. And that's what would automated testing would be. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we've seen a lot of folks in today's world start to want to do automation testing and they, you know, they started their careers as manual quality specialists, but now they want to get into the field of automated quality and sometimes they struggle because some, some often you need the ability to code, but now we're starting to see the advent of a lot of no code products in the market to help make that shift, not just for manual testers, but even the business community, right? Um, how have you seen the, the evolution of testing products, automation testing products over the last 10 years, you know, way back in your early days in this, in this space with uh, Mercury's product, which you know, now is owned by Microfocus, but would love to get some insight from you on how these tools have evolved over the last 20 years. Sure, it's almost, uh, I guess the benefit of being old is you have insight and the bad thing about getting old is you're getting old. So I remember when I started off in like 96, uh, you know, we had these tools in, in 2000, WinRunner uh, to automate tests. And a lot of times uh, you'd have the vendors saying, oh, just record and playback. You record a test script and it'll play, play back so anyone can do automation. And obviously that didn't work. Uh, and then, you saw a, saw a shift like in 2006 to 2010 where people said, no, 
uh, automation and software development. So therefore we need to program, we need to be programmers, we need to neural languages, we need to use the same exact uh, features and technology that developers use. So we'll use Selenium, we'll use Java to create our test cases. Now it's purely a hard-coded or a hard, hardcore automation process where you're doing development. And so I shifted from being more recording playback um, to more of a you know developer centric, and now I'm seeing more like a shift back to, you know, you have developer skills, but you also you're leveraging a product now using AI and machine learning that can do some of the heavy lifting for you. So, what maybe was a promise that what didn't wasn't fulfilled in 2000, now as we get into uh, you know the new year, it's actually AI machine learning are kind of leveraging technology that can make kind of record and play back reality. Of course, it's never uh, foolproof. You always need to understand how software development happens, how to uh, code to, to make changes to it. So it's almost like a seesaw back and forth between the two approaches. I always see the best case is where you meet your team where your team is at or where they're strong with. So if you have a team of developers that are strong with development and testers that are strong with development, then you use a tool with an approach where you can use more of a uh, developer-centric type of approach. And uh, if you're more of a team of uh, testing experts where they may be more experts on the UI uh, of the application or how the application functions, then you may use another technology that doesn't necessarily need these programming skills to leverage. So I see it's the best of both yeah. worlds. And also, like you said, uh, back in the day, you only had one option. You had WinRunner, a quick test professional, and then you only had Selenium. Now you're seeing tools all over the place where it's either uh, Cypress you, or you see all these other solutions coming into the space where it's more, um, like you said, it's more focused on a tester that may not be a developer. So you have all these awesome tools entering the market. And I think what's great about it is there's not one tool that's correct for one team and one uh, organization. It depends on on the skill sets that your particular team has. Yep. And I, I picked up on one very interesting point you mentioned about modern tools leveraging AI, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's um, very interesting because a lot of people are afraid of AI. But here's mm -hmm. a perfect example of AI actually helping humans move further in their career and become more productive and not necessarily take away their roles, right? Yep. Um, what, what, what we see a lot right now, Joe, is companies moving into the world of agile development, right? Or agile software delivery. And as they move into agile, a common thing that we're hearing and some of the re recent reports are also mentioning about are testing taking the longest time in the agile world. And often we see a lot of manual testing still being pushed through in order to get uh, the testing done in those short two week sprint cycle windows. And that naturally is leading to a limited amount of testing being done but we believe there is a need now to leverage more and more automation, even in the agile world. What are your thoughts on agile and test, uh, test automation within the agile world? Yeah, absolutely. So agile, um, when I think of agile, I'm thinking more like DevOps nowadays and DevOps, like you said, continuous integration, continuous deployment, where not only are we uh, creating software faster in sprints, but we're also trying to get it to the hands of our customer quicker and faster with higher quality. And so what, when I, talk about automation, I don't just think of UI automation. I think there's a lot of steps along that pipeline that can be automated to help the full software development lifecycle. So that it's not um, just focused in on a functional automation or a functional test script. It could be used to uh, automate your infrastructure. It could be used to help you with the uh, packaged applications. You may have a team that may not be developers and it may not even be developers. They uh, bought a, a no-code uh, solution to create an application and like a CRM. 
And now they need to test it. So you don't expect them to have to code for that. So you have solutions that are in that sweet spot can help them with that. So I think there's really critical areas along the full pipeline now that can help you create uh, software faster that aren't necessarily focused heavily on just automation testing, but automation in general. Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I'm fully on the same page because it's not, and it's, you know, within the software delivery lifecycle, there is that element of automation uh, from that angle as well. But if you uplift it even into the process layer, we're now seeing the ability to do automation within, you know, business processes. And that's gained a lot of steam. In fact, I would say that's gained a lot of visibility, much more so than traditional software delivery automation, just because of, you know, the, the forward facingness of, of the uh, automation with, you know, folks that actually use the processes from the business communities or even the end customers uh, many times, right? But I think at the end of the day, you're right. How do we make the delivery of software faster, of higher quality? And quite frankly, the only way to do it is automation. I don't know if you'd agree with me or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And, but I think a lot of times when an organization says testing is slow, uh, once again, they're just focusing on UI automation. They're not focusing on, are you developers doing a strong... Uh, strong unit test? Do you have strong mm -hmm. integration tests? Uh, a lot of the tests we're creating that are supposed to be automated. So, so that's another thing people get in trouble with. They try to automate everything and therefore they slow down the, the execution of the test suite because they're trying to automate everything. They may not have a lot of high value. So you, you have to be strategic in what you're automating. So you wanna have uh, you know, automation invested all along your pipeline in your unit tests and integration tests and in your, your, your UI tests, but also API tests. So, uh, when people say uh, tests are slowing down, I think you really need to drill down and not just blame a group of people as testers, but like where along this pipeline are we being slowed down? How can we uh, leverage automation to help us uh, get quicker in an area that may not be UI automation? Or maybe we have a huge, uh, like I worked for a team that had 3,000, 5,000 UI automated tests. And when they failed, you know, even if it was a 5% failure rate, it's going to slow down because someone needs to debug that. So a lot of things you could do is pull in tools like AI that analyzes those results for you, can uh, put them together and say, you have 500 tests, but maybe only two of these are related to an actual issue. So if we fix these two issues, these 500 tests is gonna help you, uh, is gonna yep. fix these tests. So that's gonna help speed it up. Also, a lot of times you have these folks that say, oh, because we have uh, containerization, we can run all the tests against all the things on every check-in, that's gonna slow you down because if you have a failure, uh, you don't know what's causing the failure. So you have technologies now with AI that can analyze what's been checked in. I know you made a change to code component A and Z, and therefore you only need to run tests one through three to cover those two check-ins. So rather than running 2000 tests, you're just running three. So I think it's just being more strategic nowadays, being a little more sophisticated, not just we're automated 10,000 tests. It's more, let's automate the right things at the right point within our pipeline to really leverage automation the correct way. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think a lot of this um, needs our testing community to be looked at um, as a strategic enabler for business, right? Yeah. Um, I, I believe gone are the days where testers are supposed to come in at the tail end of the process. Absolutely not. I believe they're quality specialists and we should have them playing a strategic role and having a strategic seat at the table to help the entire delivery organization make software of a higher quality, but also speed up their entire delivery process by making their voice heard on where the gaps, uh, where, where the gaps typically come in and how they can plan for it uh, earlier, right? Yeah. I, I love that term quality specialist and what you just mentioned there, because a lot of times, once again, I worked for a large organization 
And we were trying to have the developers contribute more to automation using BDD, behavior-driven development. And I remember one of the tests saying, Joe, why, you, why do you keep trying to get developers more involved in automation and testing and then take away our job? Where I don't see it that way. I don't see testing go away. I see testing almost as an elevated, like I said, a quality advocate that's almost like a shepherd within your sprint team that has now more responsibility. They're not just doing uh, pushing buttons and just following it like a, a hard-coded test script. They're actually adding a lot of value all along the, the, the uh, software development lifecycle from requirements, uh, trying to tell people where to, they can add quality along the pipeline. So it's almost like yeah. an elevated position that's needed even more nowadays, right? So it's not yeah. just like a oh, testing's gonna go away. It's not gonna go away. It's gonna become even more important because we're trying to develop quicker. So you need quality. Uh, you know, quicker and need these experts to help shepherd the team to get there. Exactly, exactly. No, I'm, I'm on the same page. In fact, yeah. we were talking about this internally with our team a couple of weeks ago, and we see software playing or quality playing a key role in enterprise innovation, right? And building on what you just said, the testers or the quality specialists, if they have the ability to leverage automation um, at scale, that allows them to play a more strategic role. And we think about shift left, a lot, of, a lot of times the requirements are not as clear for the developers, right? And instead of the developers and the testers constantly getting into uh, an argument about you know, quality of the code, so on and so forth, there is a much better opportunity for them to collaborate and possibly collaborate through automation. And what I mean by this is, let's look at the ability for the quality specialists to not just do the automation of the testing, but also then to have an excess capacity which they can use to make sure the requirements are of high enough quality, right? And that way the developers then are coding or building the right functionality, given that there is a solid level of quality in the requirements. So they have a key role to play. The quality specialists really have a key role to play in bringing organizations into this new digital world. Yeah, 100%. And uh, once again, I see technologies where it can monitor your sprint teams to say, uh, this sprint team on every check-in has X amount of failures and they do it every Thursday or something. And that could have a quality expert say, okay, maybe this team needs more training. What can we do to help educate them with quality to get them back up to speed so that they aren't dragging down the build when they do check in code? Um, I also think a lot of people, it's not all or nothing. I think a lot of times you can leverage technology to automate things and also use a human person. I think a great example of this is visual validation testing where you're taking screenshots of of a, of a baseline and on every check and you're comparing that against the baseline. If there's any differences, it alerts a human being like a test to say, hey, look at this. Is this correct? And they may say, oh yeah, we have a new functionality. Uh, that's correct. So this, let's use this new baseline going forward. Oh no, I didn't notice these tests were overlapping. And so it's not even replacing a tester because uh, back in the day when I had a full-time job for an enterprise company, uh, we used to test x-rays and it was almost impossible to determine uh, differences in an x-ray as a, as a manual process without using a tool to say, hey, look, this new check-in, there's this, something different in this x-ray that you not would, would not have seen or you'd be very, take years probably to find that difference. So I think leveraging the right tools to help bubble that up. And like you said, to help uh, empower your quality advocates to speak with your developers, to have these conversations around, um, hey, we found this issue. How can we build better quality? Is there something we can do? Is there a tool, a technique that we can help uh, bake into the pipeline to make it easier for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, the, way, the way we've seen the quality teams evolve and mature, I think now as organizations move in and embrace agile more you know, at scale, quality can become a true enabler for innovation. And what I mean by that is, 
let's look at organizations wanting to uh, experiment, but often they're afraid that if they experiment too much, their core business processes are going to break in production. Yeah. Um, I believe, you know, testing or automated testing and certain regression flows for your key business processes, if they're automated, it allows a business to be much more innovative, try new things, knowing that from a revenue side and a production side, nothing is going to get impacted from a core business, you know, deliverable standpoint. Well, what's your view on that? Because yeah. every time uh, organizations see testing, they often see it as a cost center, but not an innovation center, right? right? And I think there is the ability for testing and quality to be looked at as an innovation center. But please, please go ahead. 100%, I see automation as a key enabler to helping teams uh, develop software quicker with confidence is the, the key there. So it's, it's hard to measure, but like you said, um, once again, it's not just UI automation. Uh, if you can encourage your developers to create a unit test around a, a set of functionality that may have existed before in an application, uh, so that when they do make a change, they have confidence in knowing that if they make a change and it breaks, the unit tests are going to catch it before it enters production. So they're not going to cause any uh, any issues in production. They're not going to get in trouble. So it, it acts like an enabler, like a safety net that gives them confidence that, okay, I know that if I uh, make this change, I have a suite of tests, unit tests, UI tests that will catch it before it gets into production because it's baked into our our. our our CI systems, so when someone checks in code, it's gonna run these checks for you. And, and like you said, it's an enabler so that it's gonna catch these. And because they have this enabler, the safety net now, they're able to create software quicker and faster because uh, they could trust the test to catch the issues. It's just getting to the point where they can trust the test, I think is, is the key. And, but once they, they do, you can make it to management and say, hey, these, these tests are allowing us to ship uh, features quicker and so shipping features quicker are going to make people want to buy our product more. So there's a key cost benefit yeah. to it as well. Also, when you focus on risk to say, um, we have tests focusing on these high risk areas where that if we would have released without them, we could lose money because we know that this feature is the key feature that generates the most revenue for our company. So if we have uh, tests around that key feature. Uh, we're going to not lose money because we know that we're releasing software faster and that it's, it's been tested also, we have uh, concepts like feature flags that where we can also release to production. And if something happens, we could just easily turn off that feature and, and roll back easily uh, without impacting uh, our customers also. So there's a lot of techniques also you can do to give confidence and to, uh, to, to give that to your teams and to management as well. And that, that's a really interesting point, feature flags. Are you seeing a lot of organizations um, going down this path with feature flags or is it still very early in the conversations at the C CIO level? Yeah, it, it all depends. Um, I interview over 400 people on my podcast. I don't know, because I'm interviewing people, I'm interviewing the best of the best or the top of the top. So I maybe have a skewed, uh, skewed view of where people are at. I, I think it's still fairly new. Uh, I think people, when they hear testing and production with feature flags, they get scared. So my sense would be that it's probably not leveraged enough. But when I speak to high-performing teams and high-performing organizations, they do use feature flags and, and uh, instant rollbacks to, to help them deliver software quicker. So I think it depends on who you're talking to. But I would think in my gut, it's probably not as prevailing, as popular as, as I've been hearing from people. But I think it's a, it's a growing area for sure. I'm not sure yeah. if you've been seeing that as well or what your thoughts so, are on that. Yeah, it's interesting because we see so many companies all over the place in their journey for automation. Mm -hmm. There are, I would say, a majority of organizations are doing automation at some stage mm -hmm. or at some point. Um, 
but they're not really getting the full benefit out, out of it. They've tried it in a little bit of a pocket and they may have had a little bit of success, but then for whatever reason, they feel they can't scale it across, you know, their business. Um, automation percentages are still, you know, typically in the range of 20 to 30% in most organizations. And I think many organizations for whatever reason are content with it. Uh, you see a lot of digital companies or some more tech focused companies, which absolutely want to push those boundaries much higher and are doing so you know, getting to automation rates of 60, 70, 80%. Um, but then we've also seen certain organizations who don't start with automation at all. But now as they move to agile, they are 100% jumping on board. They feel that in order to really make agile successful, they need to be automating at least, you know, in an N minus one or N minus two scenario for their uh, previous sprints so that they can, they can create a test for every feature, right? Um, because I, I think, so one, one thing that we see a lot, Joe, is technical debt accumulating over time, <laughs> right? Big, big, big problem. And I was recently reading an article about how if you build an automated test for every feature, the actual lifetime value of the feature goes up by almost 2x because we start to see less breakages in production as more and more complexity gets added into the application. Uh, what's your view on that? Yeah, you know, it goes both ways. So you may get a 2x, but uh, over time, if the test is not reliable and it's time to fail, people will stop ignoring it. So um, it's just not a matter of, 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 of automating everything and all the features. Once again, I worked for a large enterprise that they would automate a feature a year ago. And uh, a year from now, uh, people are still running the tests and teams have changed, contractors have changed, and they don't even know what the tests are doing. So even if it does fail, I mean, big deal. What's it telling you? If it's passing, big deal. What's it telling you? They're not even pruning these tests. So it's, it's, it's like, a, a once again, it's a, a delicate balance. You want to automate as many features as possible, but then again, you want to prune back any features that are not adding value to your team. So yeah. it, it depends how, how uh, reliable that test is. Uh, I guess what also scares me is um, you know, tests that just pass. You've never seen them fail. Uh, so you don't know, is it really going to give you proper feedback if something did happen. So you want to have confidence in the test that when it does fail, that it's really going to, um, it's, it's failing for a real reason. I've seen teams that have 100% pass rate, 100% code coverage, and you look at the test, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is not testing anything. It's just, they're just doing it to meet a requirement by the organization to have a you know 80% automation. So it's almost like a cultural thing, right? You need to get uh, people on board, you need to enable them, not use the automation as like, oh, a silver bullet or as a way to say, we shall do 80% automation and therefore we're going to have great quality. Um, it really is a culture thing, a full team approach to testing in general. And automation is just a piece of that, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. At the end of the day, if when it comes to maintenance, everybody loves to do it the first time. And yes. then after that, it's like, hey, let's do more automation. But then no one wants to do the actual grunt work of making the maintenance or keeping those uh, automated flows current, right? And that's not just with that's not just with software, it's with yeah. process or RPA as well, huge yeah. problem. Um, I think it's just the nature of the beast. You're right though. How do you keep your teams motivated and build that culture of automation such that everyone's invested in making sure that whatever we've automated continues to bring long-term value to the organization. Yeah. Right? I, I almost think like, like a wave approach sometimes where a team starts automation and they start seeing, uh, you know, they're getting more and more coverage, more and more coverage, things are going up, it's an upward trend. And then a consultant leaves or a team member leaves and all of a sudden, uh, you know, the tests start to get flaky and the wave starts to go down and then people start losing confidence and people say automation doesn't work. So 
you need to have a good plan in place to say, all right, not only do we have automated tests, but what are we going to do long term to make these stable? What kind of cultural changes are we going to make to make sure that testing is uh, viewed as a full, full whole team type of uh, activity? And, uh, you know, make sure you plan that ahead of time. You see the end and the end before you start, have the end in mind uh, before just, just throwing resources at an automation project. Yep. Yep. And it's a cultural change, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I think um, you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, you have to have everybody on board and you can't yep. have everybody on board unless you drive it as a culture, a culture of quality or a culture yep. of excellence in automation. Right. Um, awesome. Really, really appreciate those inputs. Joe, I, I'd also like to quickly get your view because you've been in this space for so long, worked with many, many organizations in their journeys. Um, you've also dealt with, in your own experience, previously worked at a fairly large organization, one of the global leaders. What's your view on organizations adopting automated testing? When do you think is the right time that they should start to look at it? And what are some of the um, best practices that you think they should adopt when going down this particular journey? So I think a lot of times uh, with the big enterprise I was in, it was a, a top-down approach. It's like, thou shall do BDD, and here's the tools you're going to use. And you're forcing your developers to do it, and the developers are like, this is a waste of time. So I think getting buying from everyone and, and approaching it like it's a, it's a team effort. It's not like a thou shall do. It's getting your developers to say, okay, getting input, asking feedback, you know, conversations, just like uh, low-tech things to see, Okay, what's, what could help you create better quality software? Do you need tools that are gonna fit into your uh, ecosystem? Uh, do you need training that can help support you? And uh, looking at the key areas that way first uh, before you, you just say, okay, we're gonna do automation and force your team to do something that they haven't been involved with. So I think getting buy-in from the beginning from both management and setting ex expectations of the management correctly, but also getting buy-in from your developers and testers getting their buy-in and their expectations as well before you start a full-blown uh, automation uh, effort for sure is where I would start, is uh, the first place to start. Absolutely. And also uh, make sure you don't, I think a lot, a lot of times people do is they'll look at an organization like Google. So this is how Google does automation. We're gonna copy what Google does. We're gonna take that, we're gonna throw it into our process and that's how we're gonna do automation. And it's gonna be completely different for your team, right? You may have a, a simple web application that's not mission critical and that maybe you don't need a full bloat automation. Maybe you need to push back and say, do we really need automation? Or you may have like a, an FDA approach where if your application uh, feature is released, it's gonna kill someone. Well, okay, maybe we need some automation. We need testers, we need people to focus in on this. So making sure you have a risk-based approach as well so that you're not just investing in automation, but you're automating the right things at the right time at the right place. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Um, so Joe, I think, you know, as we talk about automation becoming more and more per pervasive in the market, it's all also about kind of choosing the right products and solutions, yep. right, to help you down this journey. What do you think are some of the key features that you look at uh, when looking at the right products for uh, test automation? So once again, I think it's a team approach. Um, I think a lot of times teams just told, oh, use Selenium and they use Selenium and they fail. Not because Selenium is bad, but it wasn't the right choice for, for that team. Or um, let's use a low code solution and your, 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 your developers are like, it just doesn't, it just, it's too much. It doesn't fit in, I don't understand it. So I think when you're, you're selecting a tool, what uh, features it should have, it should be the, the features that are needed for your team. So uh, I think identifying what your team needs are, what your team's strong with, and what your team's uh, uh, are not strong with is, is gonna be 
what's going to help you decide what key features to use. I know best practice a lot of times people is use the same language as your developers. And so someone will go, okay, yeah, my developers are using Java. So the people that are going to be focusing on the testing piece is going to use Java as well. And these people don't know Java. And so the automation fails because they're, they're stuck into it when they could have used a programming language like Python. And it may have been different from the developers and therefore they would have succeeded with it. So really evaluating what your goal is, what your strength is for your team and realizing that it's not one tool is gonna to help everyone in your team. Why not have the developers using Cypress? Uh, maybe you have uh, testers that are strong with Selenium and JavaScript, let them use WebDriver.io. Maybe you have another team that's overlooked. Oh, they don't know development. They don't know testing They're Like I said, they're doing um, something with a package application. Let's use a, a low code, no code solution for them. They're the experts with the application. And this tool is actually uh, geared directly towards them and that, and let them use that. I think a lot of times companies come in and say, we're gonna use one tool, one solution, one framework, and they get in trouble that way. So it, um, uh, long answer, but I think it all depends on your team and really uh, not being so short-sighted as so laser focused on uh, one tool over the other, maybe using a full more holistic approach for your team uh, along the different pipe, uh, stages of your pipeline. So uh, getting everyone involved and having them use the right tool for them for their stage of the, uh, the, the software development life cycle. Agreed, agreed. And it ties back to what you said a little bit earlier about you know making sure that there is that investment in the team. If one team originally or initially sets up a Selenium framework, right? When unfortunately people do leave organizations, when they leave organizations, what happens to that yeah. frameworks? That yeah. passion often doesn't exist for yeah. that particular framework. We've seen this time and again with multiple clients of ours, but the reality is, and I really like what you said, flexibility on tools, right? A lot yep. of companies say, we've got one, we're done. When in fact, it's why not look at multiple best of breed for different areas within the journey? Because all we're trying to do is make sure the automation is easy to build, it's easy to maintain, and it works effectively for the organization, right? Yeah, yeah. I think teams of people can fall in love with the tool and it's like, what's the objective here? Is it the tool or is it we're trying to create quality software? And I think when you go with that mindset, you, you become less rigid with the tooling selection and, and uh, uh, you know, you get away from these things. Oh, we only use open source. Well, maybe you're using open source and you think you're saving money, but when this, like you said, this, this expert leaves, then uh, the team you have uh, isn't gonna be able to support whatever they created. So maybe it would have been a better choice to use a vendor-based solution in the long run. Yep. And what's your view on the no-code test automation solutions in the market? I know we briefly spoke about it a little bit earlier, but would love to understand how you see no-code test automation products in the market. Are they beginning to play a significant role? Is it allowing more people to get into the community of quality? What do you think? So there's been some sort of shift because I've spoken with a lot of uh, companies and they come up with these low-code, no-code solutions. Uh, so like I said, maybe in the beginning of 2000, uh, when people said low code, no code, or um, recording playback, it has a negative connotation. But I think nowadays, the, the, like I said, the functionality has changed, the technology, there is really uh, areas where machine learning can help make these tools more reliable. So uh, it goes back once again to your team. Um, I always say do a proof of concept. So if someone's saying they have a low code, no code solution, and it's gonna help you with your problems, okay, uh, do a proof of concept, do a two week proof of concept, put it through your full pipeline with your developers and testers and say, hey, does this actually say what it's gonna do? And if it does, then use it. If it doesn't, don't use it. I mean, it's that easy. 
Um, I think there's actually, you know, as we get, uh, these tools are only going to get better over time. And uh, I think once again, when I started, automation testing was looked down on. It was like, oh, I, I only do real testing. And the same people that used to say that are now, oh, yeah, we do automation testing. But now they're saying AI machine learning is just a buzzword or low code, no code is just a buzzword. And they're just, they're just getting caught up maybe in a, not a bias, but like, they're not trying it. They're like try it out, put it through a real rigid, rigid uh, process of a proof of concept, and see how it works for you. But I think there's the, they do help uh, with, like I said, a key uh, area is a lot of times you have a team that is using a, a low code, no code type of a CRM, and so this may be a perfect solution for them. May not be a perfect solution for your developers. So, so try it out, give it a try, see if it helps you. But I see it's going a long way from when, when I started. I, I know you are a vendor, but I'm sure you, you don't have a tool. You're not making money if it doesn't actually fulfill a promise or a need. So where, where do you see your tool being used or being successful is what I, I would ask also. Agreed, agreed, yeah. absolutely. And you know, like you said, there's so many tools in the market working in so many different areas. A lot of organizations focusing right now on web testing, right? Or yes. web automation testing. Yes. But there are so many other applications which are core to businesses, um, you know, traditional ERP applications, yep. many organizations are not willing to, you know, shift them onto the cloud yet. Um, there are some products in the market that do end-to-end -end automation, heterogeneous testing, multiple technologies. Um, what do you see as the importance of these products in the market that can support a vast suite of technologies to deliver you know, process, process testing, end-to-end -end business process testing as an example? Yeah, so, um, so once again, I, I started off with a, a solution that was a, it was like a full feature solution. It had a test management solution and the uh, functional tool worked with it. The performance tool worked with it. So you had like a hub of all things. It was a vendor tool, but you had really key insight into what was going on. And then we went open source and open source like, okay, I have to uh, develop everything from scratch. And so you have a test, but how do I uh, track uh, the, the uh, test cases when something fails? So you have to create everything from scratch. So I think uh, a lot of these solutions now um, may leverage open source under the, under, under the covers, but they give you everything else that you need to be successful with testing that you need, don't need to develop yourself. So I see it, it's, a good, it's a good win. And if you can get over the, the uh, open source versus, versus vendor, I think it's gonna give you a lot, of, uh, a lot of features and a lot of functionality and a lot of key uh, things that are gonna help you um, along the way. So I, I like having an approach that helps you not just with web functionality. I worked for an enterprise once again, where you needed to test a mainframe, you need to test microservices, you need to test you know, an uh, ERP system. And using Selenium, you can't do that because Selenium is just for web applications. So I always tell people to not overlook um, a roadmap. Where's your company going? And when you're making an investment, not just focusing on the short-term uh, sprint, but also look at what you plan on developing a year from now, two years from now. And thinking outside the box, hey, we need a solution that's going to be able to handle API testing. We need a solution that's going to be able to handle ERP. So um, I think having a solution that handles more than just one technology is going to help you a lot, uh, especially as the Agreed. team is, becomes larger, for sure. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Joe, I think um, overall your insights have been so valuable to the viewers of the show. Personally, I've had a lot of learning from you as well. We know you're a guru in this space. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. Um, but before we leave, I'd just like to um, ask you a little bit about your upcoming conference. You're hosting a conference you mentioned a little bit earlier in the show um, that's, I believe, scheduled for February. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, I started Guild Conferences or Automation Guild in 2017 before this pandemic. And I wanted to focus in on at the time, there really wasn't a lot of online events dedicated just to automation. So this is going to be a five-day event. It's going to be the sixth annual conference. We have, uh, it's been very successful over the years. And we always focus in on actual automation, real-world automation, where someone can walk away after the event and learn a tip, tool, technique, best practice uh, that they can put into place right away to help either a new automation effort or a existing automation effort. And we have a really great community within our Slack channel that lives on before, during, and after the conference is over. So it really is like a community event. It's not just uh, like, I'm not a vendor, I'm independent. So it's not like a vendor doing it to try to get leads. It really is trying to get the community together to learn what's new in, in uh, automation for that year and give them some actionable uh, techniques and tooling that can help, the, help them with their day-to-day -day job. So that's what we focus in on. It's February 7th to the 11th. And to learn more, all you need to do is go to automationguild.com and uh, check it out. Perfect. Thank you so much, Joe. And again, I know you are passionate about the whole testing community. You love to share your insights. This show has been great. I think we've got a ton of valuable information from you. And thank you for all that you do with the testing community. I appreciate it. It's been fun. I'm used to being on the other side, so it's different being a, 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 the interviewee. So thank you for, for uh, being an awesome host. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us, Joe. Take care. Thanks. Cheers.